Thank you for that prayer this morning, Roger. Well, even as Roger mentioned, we are beginning a new sermon series today, and it's in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And uh, I'll give you a few minutes to find that in your Bibles. It's after Nahum and before Zephaniah, so I'm sure that's a big help to you (laughs) as you look for it. This is one of those times you're really thankful that you have an iPhone or an iPad. (laughs) But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to jump right into the outline this morning. And our first point is the book of Habakkuk. This morning we begin a six-part study in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. So this is going to take us right up to the missions conference. So the last two Sundays of January and the four Sundays of February, this this will be our study. And I just want to read for you the first four verses of chapter 1. We'll look at longer sections in the weeks to come, but this is really an introduction. I really want to introduce the book to you since most of us are not that familiar with us. And this is what we read. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Well, we haven't been in the Old Testament for quite a while, and so I wanted to go back to the Old Testament. Certainly one of my goals, and I hope the goals of almost all Bible-teaching pastors, is to preach to you the whole counsel of God, and so we try to do that as best we can. And it's good to go to different places in Scripture and really teach from there. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. Sometimes there's misunderstanding about the minor prophets. There are, in the Old Testament, five major prophets. Prophet books. There's actually only four major prophets, but there are five major prophet books because Jeremiah wrote both Jeremiah and Lamentations, and they're both considered part of the major prophets. And there are 12 minor prophets, and Habakkuk is one of them. They are called minor, and this is important for you to know. They're called minor not not because they're less significant or less important than the major prophets, but simply by the length of their content. It's very simple. The major prophets are long books, for the most part. And the minor prophets, for the most part, are small books, like Habakkuk's only three chapters long. And so these prophets who have smaller books, and there are 12 of them, they are called the minor prophets follow up on what Roger shared in his prayer, uh, Habakkuk is extremely relevant to our own day and time. And that's one of the things that I hope to help you see as we go through these six sermons is that though we are separated from Habakkuk, 
geographically and chronologically, it is amazing how similar the circumstances in the book of Habakkuk are to our own day and time. The overarching big question for the book of, of Habakkuk is this. If God is so good, why does he allow so much evil in the world? That's the overarching question. If God is good, and the Bible teaches us that he is a good God, then why, is, why does he allow so much evil in the world? Why does God tolerate evil? How long will he continue to do so? And those are issues that God's people have wrestled with for centuries, and we do right down to this very day. Now, it's interesting. We know almost nothing about the prophet Habakkuk. What we know about him is simply this message. As far as I know, he's not found anywhere else in the Bible. This is it. And for the most part, with the minor prophets, and all the prophets to a degree, that is also true. We don't know a lot about them. And there's actually something important about that, something significant in that. Habakkuk's credibility comes from the message that God gives him. His credibility is not in his academic credentials or in his background experience but it's in the message that God gave him. When someone, when a prophet would speak, he was speaking the very words that God gave him. He was in that time the word of God for them. And so his message was extremely important. Now in our own day and age, we tend to be We tend to place a lot of emphasis on a speaker's personality. We are living in the age when many preachers are what's called a personality cult. We tend to follow those that are funny or those that have a very charismatic personality. But that's not true with Habakkuk at all. And again, when someone gets up to introduce a speaker, usually what they do, and I've done this, so we all do it, they'll, they'll introduce his, you know, his academic credentials, they'll talk about his vast experience over the years, and then have that person come and speak. I think of the prophet Amos. You know what we know about Amos? He was a sheep herder and a keeper of sycamore fig trees. That's all we know about Amos. Imagine that Amos was invited to speak at a Bible conference and you were assigned to introduce him to the whole auditorium. So you get up and you say, well, our next speaker is going to be Amos and it says here that he's a sheep herder and a keeper of sycamore fig trees. I have no idea why he is invited to speak. <laughs> But here he is. And then he gets up and he delivers a powerful message. And you are spellbound by the word of God. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what his human credentials were. That was very true of John the Baptist. If you remember, because we just ended the Gospel of John in November, 
way back to John chapter 1, excuse me, it says the priests and the Levites came to John. And they wanted to know, who are you? And they said, are you the Christ? And he said, no. And they said, are, are you Elijah? And he said, no. Are you the prophet, the one that Moses predicted? And he says, no. And so they say, then who are you? And this is what he said. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That's it. He wasn't a man of great academic credentials or vast experience. He was a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, get ready for the coming of the Messiah. And folks, that is one of the reasons that this church has always believed so strongly in what we term expositional or expository preaching. Because the preacher, whoever's teaching from this pulpit, is not here to give you their thoughts and opinions. They're here to preach and teach the Word of God. And exposition, expositional preaching, very simply means the main point of the text becomes the main point of the sermon. So you don't get up and preach a sermon and tack on some Bible verses to make it look spiritual. No, you're there to explain the Word of God, to unfold it for people. Many years ago, I heard Warren Wearsby say that the test of a sermon is when you walk out of that auditorium that day, can you say, I know much more about that text of Scripture and how to apply it than when I came in? If you can't say that, I don't care how funny his stories were. I don't care how emotional you got. If you can't walk away saying, he explained to me the word of God and I know it better now than when I came in, then that's not a good sermon. And that's why we believe so strongly in that. For you young people out here who want to lead Bible studies in the future, maybe you want to lead a small group Bible study, or maybe there are some even young men here who aspire someday to preach and to teach, put your focus on the word of God. Place all of your focus on the word of God. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says this, All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. This is God speaking. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In the New International Version, it says, this is the one I esteem. This is the one I esteem. God says that. He who is humble, who's broken in spirit, and who trembles at the word of God. Man, that's what you want to be. That's the kind of person that you want to be. Humble, broken, trembling at the word of God. Well, let's look at the background of Habakkuk. Habakkuk takes place in the final decades of Israel's southern kingdom, just before the Babylonian Empire takes them into captivity. So that's the historical setting. Just to give you, realizing we have a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, the big picture is after King Solomon, Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel 
strayed way away from the Lord until they were finally taken into captivity by the Assyrians right around 722-723 B.C. The southern kingdom followed the Lord on and off. In fact, the northern kingdom, this will be helpful as you study the Bible, the northern kingdom never had a good king. Never. The southern kingdom had good kings and bad kings. And so they had this whole series of good kings and bad kings. But when King Josiah died, when King Josiah dies, there are no more good kings. And Israel begins to go, even the southern kingdom of Judah begins to stray far, far away from the Lord. And this is when Habakkuk is prophesying. Now, eventually, there will be three waves of deportation. And I'll get into that in just a minute. But this helps us because Habakkuk is prophesying at a time when he sees evil from within. There is evil among his own people, among his own leaders and people. All kinds of sin is taking place among the people of the southern kingdom of Judah. Their leaders are corrupt. Their people are becoming corrupt. And Habakkuk says, how long are you going to let this go on? But not only that, the Babylonians are coming. The Babylonians have recently become the most powerful empire on earth. And as we will learn as we go through this book, they are absolutely ruthless. Absolutely ruthless. And he sees the coming Babylonians. He sees this evil coming. And he really struggles with how can you, I know we're not following you, but how can you punish us with someone who's even more evil than we are? How can you allow that to happen, O God? And so Habakkuk is a series of questions and answers. It is Habakkuk having a conversation with God. Now, in 605 B.C. was the first wave of deportation. And they began, the Babylonians came in, they threatened and intimidated the southern kingdom of Judah and took away exiles. One of those exiles was Daniel, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So that happened in 605. Then there were two more. The last one happening in 586 B.C. And 586 B.C. is an important date to remember because it was the famous fall of Jerusalem. It is when the southern kingdom fully went into captivity. Habakkuk is prophesying before that. In the couple of decades that happened just before that is when he is prophesying. So think of Daniel. This is when Daniel was taken into exile. The king at this time was King Jehoiakim, one of the evil kings after Josiah. Habakkuk is prophesying right around, not exactly, but right around the same time as Jeremiah and Ezekiel. So if you kind of keep that in mind, he is prophesying right around that same time. But at this time, the Torah, the word of God, is being neglected. There is violence and injustice everywhere. And Israel's leadership has become corrupt. And Habakkuk cries out, 
How long shall I cry out? Why won't you listen, O God? God, how much longer do we have to cry out to you? How much longer are you going to let the evil within and the evil without keep going? Roger alluded to this this morning. Very relevant to our own day and age. And this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and I don't know that I could come up with a better example. I am old enough to remember when Roe v. Wade was implemented in 1973. And I am part of a generation that has been crying out, How long, O Lord? Because we have seen millions, not hundreds, not thousands, but millions of innocent, defenseless, helpless babies killed over the decades. Now I am thankful, as I'm sure you are, for the overturning of Roe v. Wade in June of this past summer. However, in all the articles that I read this past week, many good articles on Sanctity of Life Week and Sunday and the march that took place on Friday, they all said the same thing. There's a lot of work yet to be done. A lot of work yet to be done. All the overturning of Roe v. Wade did, and we are thankful for this, don't misunderstand me, is threw it back to the states. So in some states, abortion has become more restricted, and we are thankful for that. But in many other states, it has become less restricted. More access to abortion. And I say this morning, unfortunately, we are one of those states. There is much much work to be done. We live in an age right now where there is tremendous confusion about gender identity, about marriage, about human sexuality. Many churches, many Christians are facing incredible pressure to cave in on these issues. We are living in a day and age where it just seems like there is so much violence and robbery and nothing's being done about it. You watch these clips on TV where someone goes in and robs a store or commits a violent crime, and nothing's done. Or they go to prison for a short period of time and then they let out, and multiple violent offenders are let out of prison to go back into the streets. We live in a day and time where Islam has a strong a stronghold in many European countries and in many other parts of the world, and it continues to grow and spread. So we're really, in a way, no different than Habakkuk. We're saying, how long, O Lord, don't you see these things? Have you ever watched television? Have you ever watched the news and said, Lord, why do you let this keep going? Why don't you do something? Well, if you've ever felt that way, and I think most of us have, you'll understand where Habakkuk is at in this prophecy. Our second point this morning is Habakkuk's opening complaint. Next week we'll look at God's answer, but this, this morning we're looking at his opening complaint. We enter into the book of Habakkuk through a desperate series of questions and statements by the prophet Habakkuk. Verse 1 the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now, in the context, excuse me, of biblical literature, an oracle means a word from the Lord, a word given through a prophet 
to the people, but it is a word from the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. Very interesting. In the King James Version, the word oracle is translated burden. The burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw. That's actually a good word. Let me tell you, it was a burden for these guys to speak the word of the Lord because people often hated them and persecuted them because of the message they preached. But they had no choice. They were faithful prophets. They spoke from the Lord. They didn't do it to please the people. They didn't do it to get a big crowd. In fact, a lot of times they didn't have big crowds. They spoke purely as God told them to speak, and that could be a burden. Just ask Jeremiah. Jeremiah was treated horribly, not by the world, but by his own people. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, verse 2 says, Habakkuk says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? How long? Now notice his human perspective. And we feel this way. How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Lord, it appears that you're not even listening to me. I'm crying out to you, but it appears you're not even listening. I tell you, Lord, violence, violence everywhere. And you don't save. It just keeps going on. Verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Lord, why am I living in this time? Everywhere I look, even among my own people. And then when I look at that nation that wants to oppress us and destroy us, all I see is sin. All I see is iniquity. Why do you sit by idly? Notice that. God, why do you just sit by and do nothing? There's destruction. There's violence. I'm seeing it all. Strife and contention arise. It's all before my very eyes. Verse 4. Here's why. Here's why all this is happening. So the law is paralyzed. They are neglecting the Torah. They are neglecting the word of God. It is no longer the center of attention. It is no longer what is being taught. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked, notice, the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk is saying, I look around and it seems like there's a lot more wicked people than there are righteous people. Why is that, O oh Lord? Why is that? Well, I want us to think about four truths that will guide us through the book of Habakkuk. I want to share four truths with you this morning, and I will share them this morning, and then we will expand on them as we go through this six-part study. Number one, number one, Habakkuk takes his questions and confusion directly to God and prays God for that. And every time you are frustrated, every time you are confused, every time you have doubts about God, go to him. Go to him. Don't look somewhere else for your answers. 
Go to God and go to his word and do it over and over and over again. As many questions as he had, as confused and perplexed as he was, he cries out to the Lord. He asks God. He just opens his heart up and says, Why, O Lord, aren't you doing something? And that's where we're to go with our confusion, with our doubts. Number two, God hears our prayers, but does not always answer our prayers in the way we think he should or in the way that is best, especially when it comes to his sovereign work in the world. God is hearing you. Never doubt that. He always hears you, but many times, many times, God's answer to you is wait and trust me. Okay? Many times the answer to your prayer is wait and trust me. He is answering your prayers, but maybe not in the way you think or in the way that is best. Sometimes we don't know how to best pray. It may be. It may be that God is allowing evil in our own day to discipline us, to chastise us, to wake the church up, to help us return to our first love, to help us to stop being lukewarm. It could be that God is allowing evil in our day because he wants to test us. He wants to show us over and over again not to put our trust in the things of this life. They perish. They leave you empty. They leave you meaningless. It may be that God is allowing evil to show us over and over again that the gospel is anyone's only hope. Focus on the word of God. Focus on the gospel. Focus on people coming to know Christ as Savior. Focus on people being saved. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Number three. Number three, you're going to see these overlapping, but number three, God is always doing far more than our finite minds can understand. Always doing far more than our finite minds can understand. As I've shared with you before, God is on the move right now, all around the world. I may not see it, I may not always understand it, but I must believe it. He wants my trust to be in him and in his character. I know one thing God is doing right now in this world. He is patiently waiting to bring his church in. He is patiently waiting for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. Right now, right now, in 2023, we have missionaries that are going to some of the most difficult, hard-to-reach places in the world. There are ministries like Radius International, which our church supports, which are equipping missionaries to go out to some of the most remote, difficult, hard-to-reach places in the world. There are people groups who are being reached today who have never been reached before, and God is waiting patiently. And he is asking you to wait patiently, too. Patiently walk with him. Patiently be faithful to his church. Patiently give to the spreading of the gospel around the world. God is always doing far more than our finite minds can understand. 
God is always, always wanting for people to become broken and to come to the cross and to come to the cross and surrender their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Number four, God has always been and will always be in complete control of every era of history. God was in complete control during Habakkuk's time. God knew exactly what it was doing. It was time for their good as a nation. It was time for Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. It was time for them to go into captivity. God was going to glorify himself through King Nebuchadnezzar. God's going to glorify himself through Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God is going to glorify himself in King Darius when the Medes and the Persians come and destroy the Babylonian Empire. God is going to use the Roman Empire for his son to come forth in the fullness of time. God's in complete control, and folks, God's in complete control right now. He's in complete control right now. He's even given you a glimpse into the future. Just go to the book of Revelation and read it. You know how it turns out. We just don't know, we just don't know when it's all going to turn out that way. But we are asked to trust that he is always, always in complete control. There is an old hymn. I don't think many churches sing this hymn anymore. But it's called God is Still on the Throne. And it goes like this. God is still on the throne, and he will remember his own. Though trials may press us and burdens distress us, he will never leave us alone. God is still on the throne, and he will remember his own. And his promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on the throne. So Habakkuk cries out, How long, O Lord? How long? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word shines light into the confusion and darkness of our own day. We thank you that as we go back all these years to the prophecy of Habakkuk, it reminds us, all of us, to cry out to you, to fix our eyes on Jesus, until the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We pray, gracious God, that as we bring our questions and our concerns to you, remind us over and again that you listen and you care. In Jesus' name, amen.